our message series called Akkad. Uh, we know that Akkad means to move as one, right? It's to move together as one. And really what we're trying to do is cast vision and have an understanding of where our, our community is going and, and who we are. I've had a lot of people after last week's message, which I thought was hilarious, tell me, they'll say something of that. And you might be this person, and yes, I am picking on you, but I won't call your name out. Um, and that is, we're going to Sabbath service. Okay, so just a clue. Okay, there's a big banner out front up there. So just look at the banner. And yes, we are. We are going to a Sabbath service, and there's a reason for that. Last week, we hit on this understanding of the sins of commission versus the sins of omission and how important that once you understand this, once you understand what a sin of commission is and a sin of omission, the responsibility now, right, for us to follow God's commandments are not left to the pastor. They're not left to your mom and daddy. They're left to you. You are now responsible for that. And until you know or you don't know, uh, there are sins of commission. There are things that we do wrong because maybe we didn't know that it was a sin. We didn't, there was no intention um, for us to break uh, the command. And then there's the, the sins of omission, in which is just, it's, just, it's just downright you know, defiance. That I know God's word says, but... Right? And we have that. We do that with that rebellion in us. And we've seen last week that rebellion, the Bible says, is as the sin of witchcraft. Divination. Right? That's heavy when we understand that. So, and that doesn't just go with God's command. You all understand that, right? That when we talk about rebellion uh, and that spirit of rebellion, that doesn't just happen within God's commands. That's in every, every function of spiritual authority that God has placed within the body of Mashiach. But not only that, in your life. It could be your boss. Right? You might just do enough to get by because you don't like your boss. Come on now. It may be your husband. It may be your wife. Right? Rebellion has all sorts of different colors and flavors to it. And I understand, yeah, but I want to be right. I get that. But you don't want that to be a part of your life. And when we start talking about the commandments of God, we have a choice, a decision that everyone in this, in this room, in the sound of my voice online, that you are going to have to make. And that is whether you're going to do. Right? And that's why Messiah came, amen? Because we had rebellion. And rebellion was so large, and so there's no way. People didn't want to do what God says. God says, you know what? Maybe this is too heavy. So I'll send, I'll send a redeemer, and what he'll do, Jesus didn't only come to redeem us, but he came to demonstrate to us how easy it really is to obey the commands of our Father. And he does that, right? Matthew 5. So anyways, last week we talked about this, and we talked about the importance of obedience to the Torah, and really God's commands, right? God's commands. I mean, you think about this, God's commandments, they're, they're, the, they're the bedrock of our faith as Christians, right? Up until just a few years ago, every courthouse, every school that you'd go into, they had them behind the judge or in the principal's office, where I visited quite a bit. Don't laugh at me. I know some of y'all did too, right? Right, well, yeah. But you used to have the Ten Commandments in there, right? Now that's, no, no, we don't do the commandments. Like, but they're, when we get rid of these things, man, it's, it's, uh, it's devastating to the body of Mashiach. So continuing on from last week, we, took life, we, we looked at the understanding of the choice that we have in following God's commands. Although we're no longer on under the condemnation of the Torah, amen? We're no longer under the condemnation of the law because of Messiah. We're still obligated as believers, as followers, to obey his commandments. Ignorance is no longer an excuse for us to continue in breaking God's commands. We know what they are, and we talk about them here in, in church. Not to be legalistic, right? Do we understand legalism, right? Legalism, if you did not know, legalism simply means that you believe that your obedience to God's commands earns you the right to be saved. And they don't. Matter of fact, in the topic, under the topic we're talking about, let me say it this way. You can be a great Sabbath follower. But if you don't walk inside love, I'm going to tell you something, man. That Sabbath man is nothing. It just means that you're really good at keeping Sabbath. Right? You understand where I'm going? Right? You can, you can know all the Hebrew phrases. You can say Yeshua. You can say Mashiach. You can say all. If you're not motivated by love in everything that we do as a body, man, this stuff is absolutely meaningless. The evidence of God's love in our life is obedience to the Torah. Amen? That's the evidence of it, not the vice versa. Well, I obey so then everybody can see that I love God. No. You can come into church every Sunday, man, put on a really good face. 
put on all the right, do all the right things, say all the right things. You can be up here worshiping as a worship leader and do it really well, but if you're not walking in love, guys, let me tell you something, useless, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, amen? We've got to understand that. Before we get into too deep with the, the Sabbath, I know that within the, the, the movement of Torah keeping, we see this a lot. And we get buried under the legalism of Torah. I'm more spiritual than you because maybe I know more of Torah than you do or I obey Torah better than you do. So we kind of we get bound up in this legalism. Don't become legalistic. Nowhere in Scripture, man, was this, was this created to bind us but actually to free us. And when you understand this, especially with t today's topic, you'll understand why. Now, today I'm going to do something that I tend to do a lot, uh, but I try to warn you before. I'm going to give you a lot of information. Somebody, somebody said, woohoo, we got one information person, one person like, what? All right. And the reason for this is, is we have to understand how we got to this place. How did we get to the place? And that was probably one of the second biggest questions was asked after, after service uh, Sunday was, how did we get to, and I just had a conversation with someone this morning, well, why are we worshiping on Sunday then if the Sabbath is God's holy day? Why, how did we get here? And so I'm going to give you some information. I'm going to tie a lot of this stuff together. And I know for some of y'all, man, it's going to be like, like just super deep stuff. But the bottom line is just catch the big stuff, and, I, and I'll point those things out. As we go, because it's probably one of the most popular questions that I get when it comes to Sabbath, and probably you Sabbath holders that have been keeping Sabbath for some time, it's probably one of the questions you get. Well, why do you why do you, why do you do it on Sunday, or why do you do it on Saturday, not Sunday? All right. So it's important that we understand um, this point that we're going to make today of uh, why we're doing. Now, please hear me in this. Just because I want you to grab this, this is going to be a, a huge truth, a foundational in where we're going tonight, this morning. Just because someone who worships on Sunday, listen to me, doesn't mean they are sinning. You understand that? You got to get this in your heart this morning. Let me tell you something. You can worship on Tuesday afternoon at 2.46 p.m. every week, and you're okay. This isn't about worship. This isn't about getting up here and giving God praise and dedicating time to Him. That's not what this is about. This is about the Sabbath. There is only one Sabbath. God gave us this Sabbath, and the Sabbath was given to us to rest. But it's not just about resting. He gives it to us to reconnect with Him. That's the difference between just coming to church on Sunday and worshiping because you love Jesus, right? And honoring the Sabbath and keeping it as a holy day, a set-apart day. But we know with history, we flipped it, haven't we? We look at Sunday, and that was the question that came to me this morning. We look at Sunday as that Sabbath day, that day that we set apart to honor God, and like that's the day, and then everything else. But we truly don't even honor it because most of us, if we're honest, have broken Sabbath on Sundays. If we're going to say that it is, is, is it, we go home and go to work. That's not a Sabbath. We're going to unpack some of that today. But I want to talk about how did we get into this mess in the first place. Now, for some of you guys who have been a part of Epic Life for a long time, or even Torah Observant for a long time, which is a lot of you, a lot of what I'm going to say this morning, I'm just going to tell you, is going to be repetitive. The best way to learn something is to hear it over and over and over again. I'm just being honest, okay? I'm a little slow, okay? I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed. Uh, so I've got to have it told a lot of times. And sometimes it comes in a different package. But bottom line is, we're going to talk about things that many of you have heard today. But don't check out on me. Because sometimes the revelation of God's word, the rhema of God's word, happens through repet repetition. Right? That's why when you memorize scripture, you want to learn how to memorize scripture? Get you a scripture that you want to memorize, write it down on a card, and continually, repetitively read it to yourself out loud so that your ears can hear it. Write it down, hear it, speak it, memorize God's word. So the subject here is not about a day of worship, but rather the Sabbath day. Because every day can be a day of worship. I know the Lord would love that, right? Now, most people who are worshiping on Sunday are not necessarily sinning. We know that. And it's not until they begin to see it as a Sabbath, or for those who know the Sabbath. In other words, we know what the Word says. We know that the, the Sabbath is the Sabbath. But yet, we still choose to dishonor it. Does it become sin? Remember, we talked about this last week, right? Last Sunday, we said, uh, we talked about how it's the sin. It becomes the sin of omission, right? We know that we're not supposed to do it. We know that the Bible says it, but we'll say something like this, and I know nobody out here has ever said this, right? Well, I know the Bible says. 
That's right. But my mom and daddy have been worshiping on Sundays all their life, and I'm still going to stay. I don't care what your mom and daddy, and I'm not, I, I don't know your mom and daddy, okay? And I don't know, you don't get up here and talk about somebody's mama, okay? I get that. But listen, it doesn't matter what your mama said, your daddy said, your grandparents said, there's only one Sabbath. There's only one Sabbath day. So there's a couple of questions we've got to answer when we're looking at the Sabbath. And number one, first of all, is that there's no scripture, none. There's nowhere in the New Testament are we relieved from the fourth commandment. You will not find one passage of scripture where Jesus, the apostles, Paul, anybody said that we no longer had to follow this command. What happens is people are speaking into something, they look at something, and they bring out their own translation from it. Nor does anywhere in Scripture say that the commandment belongs to the Jewish people. That's not in the Bible. And once we learn this and we get a revelation of it, now we can have a foundation of, okay, where are we going? Why are we going to Sabbath? Because the Bible says to do it. It's not because we're trying to be Jewish or religious or trying to be better than someone else. It's that we've chosen at Epic Life Church, as we talked about in a couple messages ago, we have decided that this is going to be our standard of truth. Not an opinion. Not a tradition, but God's Word. And if God's Word says something, then that's what we're going to go back. And now here's where we go back to spiritual interpretation or scriptural interpretation. If the Bible doesn't speak against it, that doesn't necessarily mean it's, that we're relieved from obedience to it. And that's what I think sometimes the confusion comes from. Most Christians feel two things. Not all, but most. Number one is that the Sabbath day is under the Old Testament and therefore we don't have to follow it. Number two... It was there. It was, it was strictly given to the Jewish people and only them. Now, I'm going to address, try to address both those issues before we go home today. I want to address these issues, but I also want to teach on how we got to the thinking that Sunday is the day that we're supposed to gather as a Moedim, a holy convocation. And even I dare say that Sunday, how we got to this belief system that Sunday is the Sabbath. The reality of believers' life is well hid, that is well hid, I believe, is the life of the spiritual battle. It's spiritual warfare. You might think, well, that's a funny place to start. I get it, right? But, but hang with me for a minute, and you'll see why, why I'm saying this. You and I and thousands, if not millions of believers for us, have engaged, when we say yes to Messiah, we say yes to Yeshua, we automatically come and, and put ourselves, basically, we, put, we, we go to boot camp, and we become part... I know an old, you know, the Lord's army, right? We become part of a spiritual battle. Matter of fact, we see this all through Scripture, the spiritual battle that's taking place from our enemy, Satan. And there are spiritual forces and a wickedness and things that are moving and places that are shaking that are going all over. Now, most of us in this room, if you've been in church for any length of time, believe this. But when it comes to the Sabbath, I think there's something deeper that we really have to understand. And if you want to take out a church and you want to make, you got to remember, let's go like this. We have the Messiah and we have the what? Anti-Messiah. We know the Messiah is all created, creates everything, right? Amen? Agree with me or don't, right? But the anti-Messiah cannot. Here, here, follow me with this. The anti-Messiah, Satan, right, here's what he does. Because he can't create anything, he doesn't have that power. He's not that, big of a, he's not that big, okay? But what he can do is he can pervert. He takes what God has created, and what does he do with it? He perverts it. Who does he pervert it for? Himself. Now, if you understand this understanding, what we're going to talk about today, you'll see that way before, before the found, really before, as the church began to grow, this has been the number one issue. It's spiritual battle. And the, the Antichrist, the Antichrist, so here's the thing I've, I've always thought in my life, and I'm going to get to the message here, but here's something I've talked to even, even, even some of you guys down here before, right? So th check this out. If the enemy was going to deceive, how would he do it? Or no, better yet, let's go like this. If, if, if there's going to be, we know, I'm trying to put this into words, y'all bear with me, right? Because it's, it's kind of a deep thing, but I want to get it to where we kind of understand it. Think about this. There are millions. If you come to Wednesday night, you'll get what I'm saying because you've already heard this. Millions of millions of confessed, watch this, Christians. People who believe they're going to heaven. 
People that believe that they're Christian, okay? So then Jesus, though, pops in and he says this. And Messiah says, powerful. He says, many will come unto me and cry, Lord, Lord, right? Haven't we done all these things in your name? And many people in here, I don't care how long you've been a believer, we know that there is coming a day that what we call the big calling away, right? The big call out, right? There's going to be a time, something's going to be a separator that separates followers of Mashiach and imitators. Goats, sheep, okay? Would you all agree with that? What's the greatest thing that God can do to make it different? What's the greatest thing that the enemy can do to separate from the authentic and the fake and the fabricated. Think about this for a minute. The Bible speaks of the Sabbath more than almost any other topic within the Scripture, including the New Testament. It's important. The Sabbath is huge. Why did God rebuke Israel time again and time again? What was it about? It was about breaking of the Sabbath. It was worshiping other gods and worshiping like them, right? We see Deuteronomy 12, right? It says, don't worship me as the pagans worship me it's all about you see it all through scripture and then what you see is god's blessing being poured upon who not just people that obey his commandments but who do what come on now obey his sabbath there's a huge blessing in there so if there's going to be some 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 um uh shady things going on in the spiritual realm it's going to happen around the sabbath that's what I want you to understand. This is not just a theological issue. This is a spiritual issue that runs super, super deep, well beyond before you were ever born. But when the body of Christ was born, the, the church, the ecclesia, was born. This is when this, this huge battle began. But I want to see, we see this, this thing that uh, the enemy does it, has been doing it, and will probably do it up until the day that he is done, praise the Lord, and that is this. He's always tried to get God's people, the people who love him, who worship him, who follow him, to what? Distrust him. To not believe him. Started way back in Adam and Eve, didn't it? Right? Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. But the serpent was shrewder than any animal of the field that Adonai Elohim made. So he said to the woman, did God really say? He's doing the same thing today. Some of you are here today, and you're asking that very thing. Did God really say that we're to do Sabbath? But my grandpapa and my grandmama, they've been doing Sunday worship all their life. What you're really saying is, did God really say to do this? Come on, church. Job 1, right? We see this in the story of Job, you know, and people say, oh, God just wants to bless you. You need to read the story of Job, okay? He's just saying. Now, he does get blessed at the end, but... Job had a hard time, amen? Look at Job chapter 1. One day the sons of God came to present themselves before Adonai, and thus Satan, which I love that, also came with them. They're all gathering up, man. They're having a powwow. Verse 7, Adonai said to the Satan, Where have you come from? Interesting dialogue between the Satan and Adonai. Satan responds to Adonai and said, from roaming the earth and from walking on it. This wasn't just, you know, Satan out there having a, you know, having a, a, a summer walk, okay, a spring walk. He wasn't out there just like chilling. We know that because of the response that Adonai gives, right? What's the response? Satan responds to Adonai, from roaming the earth. Verse 8, Adonai said to the Satan, did you notice my servant Job? So apparently, God being all-knowing, Satan's probably out there trying to harass. It's what he does. He does it really well. He's been doing it for a long time. He's good at deceiving. Deceiving, you understand that, right? He is excellent at deceiving people. You've got to get this in your spirit this morning. He's not a rookie. He didn't just start. He knows what he does, and he knows how to trick people because he's, a, he's shrewd. But I'm not saying, did you notice my servant Job? There's no one like him on earth, the blameless and upright, who fears God and spurns evil. Good guy, right? Now, this word shrewd is crafty. It pertains to being trickery and cunning with a focus on evil treachery or an evil end. Satan's ultimate goal is to get you to do what he did in the very beginning. And that is, did God really say? And unfortunately, man, within the body of Mashiach, man, it, we see this it's more and more that people are buying into this. They're buying into that lie. 
My point is simply this. The enemy had been getting us to follow the commands of, uh, trying to get us not to follow the commands of God since the beginning. We need to understand as we get moving that the Sabbath conflict is not man-made. Now, I know that may go, along, go away with some apologetics and hermeneutics and people that love to study all the other udics, right? And they might like, oh, but man did this, but man, I get it. But it was influenced by the enemy. From the beginning, Satan had been separating the people of God from their purpose by getting them to doubt what God has said, and it's no different today. The enemy comes to divide. And not just divide you as a family or divide your marriage, but your relationship with Adonai. It's what he did in the garden. It's what he tries to do in the wilderness with Yeshua. And he continues to do it today by getting people to break the commandments of Adonai. Isn't it interesting that, that the enemy takes the word and tries to pervert the word even to Messiah? Did God really say? Well, if God said this, then... You know, jump yourself off this building and he'll catch you. He puts, he'll put his angels charge over you. He's doing the same thing today, church. Because he knows that sin, sin is a, man, it's, it's an ugly thing. That's why I loved what, what, what we said today. And sometimes we talk about it a lot. I get it. And sometimes people don't like it. But, uh, you know, Pastor Dustin said this morning that if there is sin in our life, man, be quick to repent of that, right? Be quick to deal with that. And the reason for that is, isn't because God doesn't love you and that grace isn't available. Grace is available to you. James, I believe it's Jane or John, it says that when we sin, we have an advocate, Christ Jesus, who is quick and able to forgive us from all unrighteousness. But here's the thing. Why did he have to say that? Because sin still separates. It doesn't mean God doesn't love you any more or any less. It means that sin separates. Think about this. When your children misbehave, there's a separation of trust that happens because they did this. Do you still love them? Absolutely. Right? But as soon as they come up to you and they bat them little eyes, right? And they shed that little tear and they say, Daddy, Mama, I'm sorry. You hug them. You love on them. And you don't throw it back in their face every day. At least you better not. The Father does the same thing with His people. See, the Ten Commandments are the pillars of our faith next to Messiah. I understand, not Messiah. I'm not saying for salvation. They're the bedrock, if you will, that allow us, they, they give us the, kind of the, they're the guardrails of our faith as believers in Messiah. It's probably a better word, guardrails. This brings me to the point of importance. Why then do believers worship on Sunday? Even more importantly, why do they believe that they don't have to honor the Sabbath day and break the fourth commandment? That's an interesting thought, right? It kind of goes deep, right? It goes beyond just a Sunday message. That's why we have to do Sabbath. I don't even know if I'm going to be able to do justice within this message series. To give justice to this, this Sabbath day, this holy day. Something, again, we need to understand is that nowhere within the Scripture is Israel nor anyone else instructed to have a holy convocation on the first day of the week. Nobody. Nowhere will you find it. The holy convocation of Israel was to be on the Sabbath, the seventh day. In Hebrew, there is not a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. That came from the Roman Empire. There's only the first day, the second day, the third day, the fourth day, the fifth day, the sixth day, the Sabbath. The Sabbath. That's the day that mattered. As a matter of fact, the Sabbath is not to be the one thing Need is to be the one thing other than Yeshua that will separate those who are followers and those who are not. I truly believe this. Now, can you, Pastor Mike, can you prove this within Scripture? Not necessarily, but I think necessarily, right? You know what I'm saying? It doesn't like literally say that, but I just, when you think about how important the Sabbath day is, and why is it such a big deal that people break it? Why is it that such a big deal? Exodus chapter 31, verse 12. Watch this. Powerful. Then Adonai spoke to Moshe, or Moses, saying, Speak now to Ben Israel, saying, Surely you must keep my Shabbat, or Sabbath. What? If you don't have this scripture highlighted in your Bible, do it now. I'll wait. Nobody's marking. All right. Watch what he says. For it is, what? A sign between me and you till Jesus comes back. Is that what it says? What's it say? 
Come on. Throughout your generations, so that you may know that I am Adonai who sanctifies you. This is the qualifier. It is a sign. Therefore, you are to keep the Shabbat because it is a holy for you. Everyone, say everyone, everyone. who profanes it will die. This die is isolation, separation. For whoever does any work during Shabbat, that soul will be cut off in the midst of his people. Now, I want you to ask you a question. Hold that up there for a minute, Sam. Do you think God values the Sabbath pretty important? I mean, look at that. Look at the wording of this scripture, right? Powerful, right? Everyone who profanes it will die. That's heavy stuff. That's not simply like, oh, I you know, missed a day of work, you know. No, this is like, you will die. For whoever does any work during Shabbat, that soul will be cut off in the midst of his people. This is powerful stuff. I know it's heavy, right? It's heavy. But isn't it interesting within the body of Mashiach, right, or the Christians, this is the one commandment that they're okay with breaking. But God says, if you do it, you'll die. You'll be separated from me. Why? It's the separator. See, when people see you honoring Sabbath, do you know what they think? They're separate. They're different. There's something about And y'all are a little special, a little bit different in that town. But then when you talk about Sabbath, this is heavy. This is, this is a separator. You're not a typical Christian. And you'll get, the, you'll, get the, you'll get all the arguments that we're trying to cover for you so that the reason why I talk about this is because I want you to be equipped so that when you understand and you make the decision like, yes, I'm doing this, and when all your friends and all your family come back to you and say, well, why do you do that? You think you're Jewish? No, not really, but God commanded it. Well, Jesus came and got rid of that. That's wonderful. Will you show me where that's at? Will you show me that where that's in the Scripture? Well, Jesus became our Sabbath. That's awesome. Thank you for saying that. Can you show me where that's at in the Bible? Where Jesus becomes my Sabbath? No, this is man-made traditions and theology that's come into the church, and no one did a gut check. Y'all know what a gut check is? You ever get hit so hard in your gut, it checks your, your brain up here? Right? Like something happened, you did something, you're like, uh, uh, maybe I shouldn't do that anymore, right? My grandkids every once in a while have to have a little gut check. Your child probably has to have a little gut check. We need gut checks. And pastors need some gut checks, amen? We're teaching stuff that's not biblical. Where am I at? Praise God. But here's the interesting thing, too, about this, is that notice he says to my people Israel. That opens up a whole other world, doesn't it? Well, Pastor Mike, that's just for the Hebrew people. That's just for Israel. I'm glad you said that because that's where I want to go. Think about this for a minute. Who is Israel? Who is Israel? You are. I am. You want me to prove it today? Say, prove it, Pastor Mike. Good. How many of y'all already know the, how many of y'all know where I'm going? All right, I love y'all. Y'all just pray for your pastor then, right? Watch this. Everyone who calls on Yeshua is of Israel. Remember, this is not about a de demographic location, Right? If that were the case, then why was everyone coming out of Egypt called Israel? Uh-oh. We'll back up here a minute. What are you saying, Pastor Mike? Every person that came out of Egypt was called the nation of Israel. Well, they were all Jews. Were they? Well, let's look at the Bible. Let's just not make an opinion. Come on now. Exodus chapter 12, 37 and 38. And the people of Israel joined from Ramses to Sukkot about 600,000 men on foot. That's a lot of dudes, okay? Besides women and children. So we don't know how many, like, the Jewish people, right? Hebrews, right? And, y'all say that with me, a mixed multitude also went up with them and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. Hold that for a minute. A mixed multitude. Not Hebrew. Not Jewish people. What did it say? Well, now we got to go, okay, well, what does that mean? Well, in Hebrew, it's in your worship, God, I put it in there for you, is Areb. It means non-Israelite. It means mixed tribes. It means crazy foreigners. In other words, anybody that was not born Hebrew is of a mixed multitude. And this church, lots of mixing going on here, praise God. We got, a, we got a multitude. Come on now. 
Now watch this. This is really cool. The book of Exodus regularly refers to Abraham's descendants as the people of Israel, Exodus 6 and 5. Yet Exodus 12, 38 notes that a mixed multitude accompanied the people of Israel out of Egypt. Watch. Suggesting that many people became Israelite by theological rather than biological descendancy. In other words, they didn't have the blood running through them, but because they called on the name of Adonai, they became Israelite. Does that include you? Well, let's see what the Bible says. Don't let's just not make a, let's not have an opinion. Let's read what Scripture says. It goes on. This suggests that the name Israel can be a designation for someone who is ethnically Jewish as well as those who choose to become part of God's people, such as Jer Jethro, Exodus chapter 18. I'm going to give you a second so you can write those down because they're not in your, your study, I don't believe. Exodus 18, read that one. Rahab, Joshua 6.25. The Kenites. Judges 1.16, an entire tribe, Kenites, all became, right? And of course, most of you know Ruth. Ruth, we knew, she said, what did she say? Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people, right? That's what she said to Naomi. This is a quote from the Lexium Bible Dictionary. Now, to be a little repetitive this morning, let's talk about this a little bit. Let's remember what Paul said in Romans chapter 11, verses 13 through 14. But I'm speaking to you who are Gentiles. Insofar as I am an emissary to the Gentiles, I spotlight my minute. Hold it right there for a minute. Don't turn yet. So number one, you've got to go to this verse first to see who Paul's talking to in the book of Romans. He's not speaking to Jewish people. He's not speaking to people who are Hebrew. He's talking to the people he were called to. And why was he called to them? Verse 14 tells us, If somehow I might provoke to jealousy my own flesh and blood, in other words, my bros, my kinfolk, right? And save some of them. He says, look, I'm coming to the Gentiles to help the Gentiles come in. Why? So that, that, that somehow they'll see what's going on in the Gentiles and they will become jealous and they will be what? Saved. You want to know the one thing that's really ticking off a lot of Jewish brothers right now, or not brothers, but Jewish people? You. Because you're getting it. You're getting the Sabbath. You're understanding God's commands. You're understanding the full Torah and you're walking in it. And here's the best one we had. You ready? You believe in Messiah. Powerful, guys. Powerful. Romans 11, 16 through 21, go a little bit further down. If the first fruit is holy, talking about Israel or, or the Jewish people, Hebrews, so is the whole batch of dough. And if the root is holy... So are its branches. That's you. It's all the branches coming out of the root, right? But watch, verse 17. But if some of the branches were broken off, dealing with the rebellion of Israel, the uh, rebellion of the Jewish people who said, nope, we don't believe in Messiah. We're not going to follow God's command. We're going to do our own thing. We're going to do a little paganism, right? This was, it. this was God's people. He says, well, if those branches were broken off, and you, talking to the Gentiles, remember we already seen that in verse 14, being a wild olive, watch, were grafted in among them and what? Became partakers of the root of the olive tree with its richness. You're grafted in. Not because you're some super spiritual person, right? But because of God's grace. And because God's grace is so deep and so he's so filled with love for his people, the Jewish people, he says, man, I'm going to bring these guys in and cause them to, to live out and be in my blessing and obey my commandments, right? Jeremiah, Ezekiel, both of them, right? I'm going to put my spirit in them. I'm going to cause them to walk out my commands, my mitzvot. Why? So that the people will be jealous and maybe they'll be saved. Let's finish it up. Verse 18, do not boast. Now he's talking to Gentiles. Do not boast against the branches. In other words, look at us, huh? <laughs> uh, Jewish people, uh, nanny, 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 right? Don't brag, right? But if you do boast, it is not you who supports the root, but the root supports you. The only reason why you're brought in is because of the roots of our faith and because of God's goodness and his grace and his mercy. But yet, what do we do in the church? We, we take God's command. We pick and choose like we're at a buffet, right? Well, I'll take some of the turkey, Right? I'll have some of them. How many of y'all had boiled eggs? How many of y'all have the, what are the eggs called? The, the, oh, how many of y'all like them? Angel eggs, right? Angel eggs, right? Praise God. <laughs> I love, one of my favorite parts. I eat them all. Praise the Lord. 
You will then say branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. True enough. Verse 20. They were broken off because of unbelief. They didn't believe. And you stand by faith. You came in because of Messiah, Mashiach, right? And that's how you're in. That's how you got tied into the branch. Not based upon your duty, not based upon your work, but based upon Messiah. And then what did he say? <laughs> Don't be ignorant. Has your, your mom ever say that to you? Don't you be ignorant. Don't be stupid. That's what he's saying. Paul's just being very nice about it. Don't be stupid. Don't be arrogant. But fear, for if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. That should be an ouch. We've been given something very, very special here, and that is a revelation. And if you've been doing it for a while, man, you are blessed. You're blessed. You know why? Because you've been given the revelation of Torah. I've talked to many Torah believers, and I don't know if you guys have ever thought about this. Some of you guys have been doing it for a while. And I've, I've asked God this question so many times. Why me? Why me? Why have my eyes been opened? Have y'all ever thought that? Have y'all ever asked that question? I mean, you get those aha moments where you look at Scripture and go, you, you may have been a Christian for 20 years and you finally came to the truth of Torah and you went, whoa. And I ask that question constantly, why? Because I talk with brothers and pastors and other teachers and they're like, ah, that stuff's legal and ah, you're not supposed to do that. Ah, it's for the Jewish people. They don't have a revelation of it. This can only come by the Ruach HaKadosh. Only. Not because you're intelligent, not because I'm smart, but because of who he is. It comes back to a scripture that I like to read a lot. And in the scripture passage it says, For those who hunger and thirst for righteousness shall be filled. I truly believe this, and I may be wrong. I truly believe that the people that God reveals this truth to are people, you, you're hungering. You don't like the status quo. You know that something's missing, something's off, and, and you continually pursue and passionately pursue God, and you're always asking that question, God, give me more. That's righteousness. That's the pursuit of righteousness. Where am I at? Ephesians. Oh, look, Ephesians chapter 2, 11 through 14. This was like the aha moment for Pastor Mike was this passage of Scripture. Therefore, keep in mind that once you Gentiles in the flesh. Notice the recognition. Now, we did talk about this last week, right? We're called uncircumcision. Again, repetitive. I know I say this a lot, but this uncircumcision is powerful because uncircumcision means you do not have a covenant with God. It's metaphorical. By those called circumcised. In other words, they had a physical circumcision. And because of that, because of the covenant that God made with Abraham, everyone that came after them, they felt like, hey, I'm in. I got the circumcision of the flesh. I have covenant with God. We're called uncircumcised by those called circumcision, which is formed by the flesh of hand. In other words, the Jewish people were telling the Gentiles, you don't have a covenant with God, nanny, nanny, nanny. That's what's happening here. That's what he's saying. Right? Verse 12, at that time you were separate. Separate from Messiah. Can you imagine? I know we can't imagine that today, being separate from Messiah, right? That would be like unheard of, especially after the worship session we just had. Excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. This is powerful. Anybody who says this, you need to remember this passage. Right? When your mom and daddy and your grandpa and grandpa say, oh, you're not a part of Israel, you better take them to Ephesians chapter 2 and read this verse to them. At that time you were separate from Messiah, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, and what? Without God in the world. But I love it when God throws a butt in there. Man, that changes everything, praise God. I used to tell my kids when they were growing up, anytime you use a butt, it... it Everything that you spoke prior is gone. It means nothing. Daddy, I love you, but wait, 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 wait. We're not going that one. Okay, but here. But now in Messiah Yeshua, you who were once far off, in other words, you didn't have covenant, have been brought near by what? The blood of Mashiach. The blood of Messiah. For he is our peace. The one who made the two into one and broke down the middle wall of separation. That's a whole other message if you haven't heard me talk about that. Within his flesh, he made powerless the hostility. The thing that separated us. He destroyed it. Why? To bring us together under one olive tree. One. One olive tree, guys. This is powerful. Hallelujah. Y'all getting it? All right, let me see here. So why the separation? 
Well, let's go into some little details. I've talked about this before. I know, again, repetitive. It started back in the first in the second century with the ruler of Constantinople. Constantinople has a council called the Council of Nicene. You all heard of that? You've been coming here long enough, you probably have, okay? So this council, man, now a lot of people misunderstand and think that it was at that council that Sabbath was abolished, and it wasn't. It was the beginning of it, but it wasn't at that council. One of the things that happened at that council is there's so much division within the Catholic Church, and I only can call it the Catholic Church, because a lot of times you think of Christian, and we think this was Christian, and it had nothing Christian in it. Now, we got some things out of it that actually using the Christian church that doesn't make sense to us today, and we, this is a whole other message. But at this council, some very powerful things that happened. Number one was the beginning of annihilating Sabbath by getting rid of Friday evening worship at the home. Constantinople didn't like it. So he said, what we'll do is we'll outlaw that and make them all come at one time to worship, and I'll sit my little, my little chair in the middle, and I'll worship with them. Yeah, that worked out real well, didn't it? So it starts there at the Council of Nicaea, the separating factor. We know by fact and by history that one, Constantinople was pagan. He never was baptized. He never received Messiah as Lord. He believed in God, what God is to be determined. We know that he had a dream, and in his dream he had a vision, and the vision basically was he had a kingdom on his left and a kingdom on his right. His brother, they were going to invade him, destroy him, kill him. He got fearful. Just like some of you, when you're stressed and you have fear, what do you do? You have dreams, right? And these things happen. Well, this happened. In this dream, he sees a burning cross, and he hears a voice. And the voice tells him what? The voice tells him, trust in this. Follow this. This is your key to victory. So he does. He becomes, he becomes like a super Christian guy. Everybody loves this guy. The Christians are finally not under so much persecution anymore, right? And what does he do? He goes around and on his whole army, right? What he does, he paints crosses on all their big shields and all their stuff, right? And now the, what's it called, the history of the, where they go around, they kill everybody that's not a Catholic, basically. If you're not a Christian, they killed you. Right? And all this starts happening. It starts right here. We also know by this guy that he was anti-Semitic, meaning he hated the Jewish people. But he needed a way to victory. And he used the Jewish people or the faith of the Jewish people to bring that victory about. Now, that's where it starts. But really what happens, and that Council of Nathan is in uh, modern day today. It's Istanbul, Turkey. Um, but it was in an effort to unite the hostility that was uh, and divisive of these bishops. But here's where it really hits. And that is in 364 AD at the Council of Laodicea. That's where things begin to change. And it's at that council that these canons are established. The canons were to dictate how the church was going to be operated. And there's several in there. I just pulled out one. I've read this many times in our church, but I want to read it again. Let's look at Canon 29. Christians shall not Judaize and be idle on the Sabbath or Saturday, but shall work on that day. Now watch this. But the Lord's day they shall especially honor. Now, I had some other quotes to put in there, but just for the sake of time, where we see him passing these Roman laws, Constantinople did, he passes these Roman laws, and part of the Roman law was that no one was to work on Sunday. Making it a what? Come on, a Sabbath. It goes on. And as being Christians shall, if possible, do no work on that day. If, however, they are found Judaizing, they shall be shut out from Christ. In other words, they'll be kicked out of the church. This is where it starts. And then this turns into another, that turns to another, turns to another. Now, we know that by the history that there are those that, that did worship on Sunday, but they also, as believers in Mashiach, they worshiped on Saturday as well. They worshiped on both days. Now, we'll get to that here in a minute. But where do we get this thing, the Lord's Day? You believe this? It's based off of one passage of Scripture. One passage of Scripture, church. You want to see it? Revelation chapter 1, verse 10. This is where they got it from. Go do your own study and find this out. I was in the Ruach on the day of the Lord, and I heard behind me a loud voice like that of a trumpet. Now, this phrase, I was in the Ruach on the day of the Lord, is very mistranslated in different terms. I've looked through Bibles, and it's so varied. Some say on the Lord's Day, and some say on the Day of the Lord, depending on where the translation comes from or comes out of. 
It's the only verse in Scripture that gives us the term the Lord's Day. Many translators say the Lord's Day, while others say the Day of the Lord, the term is somehow applied to Sunday. Nowhere in there does it say Sunday or the first day of the week, does it? It doesn't. The confusing comes with the Greek word kairaki. However, you translate it, the rule of translation is severely, severely ignored here, and that is you should never use a single verse to determine a core belief. You need to get that in your spirit. I don't care who they are, I don't care how good looking they are, I don't care how uh, refined they are in their talk, you cannot build doctrine off one scripture. You cannot do it. It will completely, and that's what we've done. The only other text that is issued or that is used is when Paul, in writing the Corinthians, commands them, watch this, guys, commands them to take up an offering on the first day of the week. This reference to the first day of the week is erroneously applied to say that, what they, uh, that, would be, that they would be meeting at that time. So that's what Paul said, you should take up an offering. However, one thing is forgotten in this translation, and some of you all might already know what it is. Right? You ready? And that is you weren't allowed to take up the offering during the Sabbath. You weren't allowed to call and go to people, right? So you can come together, you can bring an offering on the Sabbath, but to go out and command people to bring them in or give money, you weren't allowed to do that. Very powerful, right? Why? It was Torah. It was Sabbath. You weren't supposed to do that. You're not supposed to do any what? Business on Sabbath. Paul, being faithful Torah observer, would have known this. We see it here in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, 1 through 4. Now concerning the collection of uh, Kedoshim, that's the holy ones or saints, us, as I direct the Messiah's communities in Galatia, you do likewise. He's going to go on to say this verse all the way through and show what he's talking about. Verse 3, whenever I arrive, I'll send whomever you approve with letters of introduction to carry it out, uh, to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it's advisable for me to go also, you will go with me. Nowhere in this passage do you, say, do you see that they were worshiping. Nowhere in this passage do you see that it was the first day of the week. It just says that the Lord's day. It just says when you gather together on the first day of the week, do this. They weren't worshiping. But they take this. This is how Scripture gets blown out of proportion. This is how Scripture gets taken out of context. Amen? You've got to understand context. Right, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to wrap it up here. If one looks honestly in the New Testament, one sees uh, as a Dr. Lyman Abbott, an American con um, congregationalist, that the current notion that Christ and his apostles authoritatively substituted the first day for the seventh is absolutely without any authority in the New Testament. That's out of the Christian Union, uh, June 26, 1890. And as J uh, James uh, Gibbons, a Catholic theologian, declared in the faith of our fathers, you may read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, and you will not find a single line authorizing the sanctification of Sunday. The scripture enforces the religious observance of Saturday, a day which we, we never sanctify. Why then do most Christian churches uh, convocate on Sunday? Some teach that Paul gathered with his friends on the first day of the week. And that's, that's the basis for it. I told you a lot of information, but some evidence here. Some teach that uh, Paul did that, the week breaking the bread, and that is what the reason for the church changed the Sabbath day from the seventh day to the first day of the week. Apart from the danger of creating a doctrine from a practice, their facts are simply wrong. There's no evidence, church. This is my point. It's also important to note that many believers inside the Roman Empire did worship on Sunday, but not for the reason that you may think to, or that they do it today. They do it because of the immense amount of persecution that was happening to the Jewish people. So for safety reasons, they would gather, they would keep Sabbath in their homes, but they would gather corporately together. And guess what? This was only inside the Roman Empire where the persecution was happening. Outside, they kept Sabbath normally. This is some of the history of our church. And just as the Council of Nicaea brought separation of Jews and Gentiles, so does the Council of Laodicea. But this time they give the hows, how the church was to operate. Now, as I get ready to kind of, how much time do I have? My Atlanta. Is that really the time? Oh, my Lord. Can I finish? Yeah. Are you all okay? Everybody? Okay, cool. We're going to eat after this, right? All right. Seems like, yeah. <laughs> So we are simply a church that finds its identity among... So here's the thing I want to say first and foremost before we go, and I want this to be online, and I want you to hear it. We are not... Just like I said at the beginning of this message series, right? We're not associated with the Hebrew roots movement. We're not. All right? We're Torah observant. We just believe all of God's word, first century Judean church, bringing it back, right? The other thing, though, is we're not Seventh-day Adventists either. And I know we have some that were there. I'm just letting you know we do not... We do not 
uh, identify with the Seventh-day Adventists. Now, one of the couple things they got right, one of them was Sabbath. They got that right. But there's a lot of other things within the Sabbath, uh, within the Seventh-day Adventists, they got wrong. I mean, way, way wrong. And I'm, this is not the message to teach on that, okay? I just want you to know that we're not affiliated with that. We believe that it's time to come together as one in Messiah Yeshua. And with that said, let's look at the word Sabbath. Sabbath simply means to cease or desist. We see it in Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. So the heavens and the earth were completed along with their entire array. God completed on the seventh day his work that he made, and he ceased on the seventh day from all his work. Verse 2, oh, that is verse 2, is in there, right? So we see the law given right here, the command Looking at our society today, many would ask the question, why is there so much hostility towards the Sabbath? But if you actually look at society in itself, how stressed, how much anxiety, how much stuff is going on, the division of the family, the breakup of marriages and children and fathers and sons, why? I'm telling you today that I believe it stems right here on the breaking of the Sabbath. God gives us a day to come together as a family, connect with one another, but more importantly, connect back with him and rest. We don't rest. We go, 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 go. We got to keep up. We got to keep up with the Joneses. We got to keep up with everything else. And God says, no, this is not good. Even Jesus himself said I can't, that Sabbath was made for you. For you, for me. Why? So, to bring healing, to bring restoration, to come back to the Father. It's a holy day. It's also in relation to God pertains to creation. Right? So the heavens and earth were completed along with their entire array. God completed creation, and he demonstrates this every time you honor Sabbath. You're honoring the fact that God is the creator. Get that in your heart this morning. Powerful. Genesis 2 and 3. Then God blessed the seventh day. Go ahead and bring that up. Verse 3. And sanctified it. For on it he ceased from all his work. See that? God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. For on it he ceased from all his work that God created for the purpose of preparing. See, it's the day that you stop creating. Let me break it down to us in a word that we can understand. It's a day that you stop striving and you trust the Father. Well, Pastor Mike, I have to have that extra day of work. Trust the Father. But man, you don't understand, man. If I don't get here, I'm going to trust the Father. God gives us just, it's just like so many other things. God says, I want you to trust me in this. Now, I didn't have time to write down the book of Isaiah and so many, and so many other places where we see that when they Sabbath, they trusted the Father with the manna, right? I mean, how big is that, right? God said, hey, on the Sabbath, you, on, on, on Friday, pick a little extra, but on the Sabbath, don't you go out there and get anything. Nothing's going to be there. Sure enough, some people didn't trust him, right? What happened? They go out there into the field to get some of that manna, right? And there was none there. God said, man, I told you what to do. I told you to trust me in this. Sabbath is about faith. Sabbath is about trusting your Father above this world standard and system and, and all of the rush, 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 hurry up, hurry up, hurry up, and settle into what he calls us to be. What does it mean that God ceased from his work? Did God get tired? <laughs> Did God need a nap? <laughs> or is there a deeper, more obvious meaning behind what we see? Why does God, after all creation, seeing that everything he made was good, he stops and then he sanctified it? He makes it a holy day for you. In the Hebrew, it is the word kodesh. It's my favorite word. It means to be consecrated, to dedicate to service and loyalty to God, and so involving proper conduct for any person, object so dedicated, i.e., set apart. God made that day special. And you and I, no matter what a pastor will tell you, do not have the ability in us to make any other day holy or special. You're not God, neither am I. We can't sanctify something. Only God can. Sabbath is the name of a name for the day of the week. It is a unique in the Hebrew Old Testament in that it is the only day that is actually named. The English language gives names to all seven days of the week. We've already talked about this, Right? But both ancient and modern, the Sabbath, the Sabbath day of the week, is the only day that is named. All the other days are numbered. For example, Sunday is day one, Monday is day two, so on and so forth. This is important because of the status to which it holds, and it also shows how we're not able to call any other day Sabbath. God shows us this. There's no other day but the one day. Amen? 
No matter what we've been taught, you and I cannot create another day of Sabbath. Now, this doesn't mean that you cannot worship God in any other day. It's not what it's about. Only that the Sabbath day is the only day that is considered throughout the Old and New Testament. And next week, that's what we're going to do. I'm going to show you how the New Testament supports the Sabbath. I'm going to show you stuff that most of y'all have never seen before. And you're going to see it. It's powerful. This doesn't mean that you cannot worship God on, this, on, on any other day. But the holy day is to be set apart. It's supposed to be special. That's why on Friday night, what do we do? We make it special. You put out the nice, well, it depends on how many children you have and how young they are, right? You put out the nice tablecloth. You may need to do brown right, or black, but we use white sometimes when the grandkids aren't over. And we ain't, you know, go to take communion or something and they spill grape juice everywhere, right? So you, it makes it special. It's like, how many of y'all celebrated Thanksgiving? Come on, be honest. It's okay, all right? So we did. We had a very special, we had, I smoked a turkey, right? Okay, right? Is it pagan? I doubt it, all right? I can prove it to you on, the, on all that. And people, well, that's paganism. No, it's not. Do your history. It's not, okay? But watch this. What did we do? We brought out the fine, you all fine china? You all do the paper, paper plate. Fine Texan paper plates, right? And little plastic things. If you're an adult, you got the big plastic thing that kind of held it up a little bit better, right? The kids didn't get that, right? There's a yep, yep, right? Smoke a turkey, do something real special for your family, right? You realize that should be every week. Because truly, man, it is Thanksgiving. You're giving God thanks for the week that he gave you. And you're entering into the Sabbath day. You're thankful for the family that God has and that nothing crazy happened during that week that maybe you lost a loved one, right? It's that time to say time out. We're turning everything off and we're coming together as a family and we're going to put our focus in our home, first and foremost, back on Adonai. Amen? Amen. I'm trying to get through this, guys. Now, um, let me read this quote real quick. The linking of the fourth commandment with Sunday observance, which would later become commonplace in Christian piety and theology, is notably, watch, absent from the ancient church. This is Justin L. Gonzalez on a brief history of Sunday from the New Testament of the New Creation, Grand Rapids, Michigan, yada, 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 yada. Sabbath is more than just a day we don't work and go to church. There's so much deeper significance than that. It's all about trusting Adonai, that all things belong to him. Sabbath is a day that, because of our freedom to choose, we choose him. We choose him over our own. Exodus 28 and 11, real quick. Remember Yom Shabbat. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. You're to work six days and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Shabbat to Adonai your God. In it you shall do no, not do any work. Not you, not your son, not your daughter, not your male servant, your female servant, your cattle, your outsiders within your gate. For in six days Adonai made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Thus Adonai blessed. It's the only day that's blessed. Yom Shabbat, the, the Sabbath, and made it holy. Now listen to me. Read that scripture very carefully. For some of you guys like, well, I'm just not going to do that. You know, I don't, you know, whatever the Bible, I get it. We've already talked about that, right? But here's the thing. You don't make a servant work. Well, how does that apply today? Well, I know, I hope, none of y'all have servants in your home, okay? If they, we need to have a counseling session for that, okay? All right? Or you're not giving enough. I don't know either one, but anyhow. You figure that on the way home. But here's the deal, right? That means you don't go out to eat. What's a waitress? She's a servant. She's there to serve you. Amen? You don't get your laundry done. You do all that, man. Six days you have for that. That day belongs to Father. And he said, man, you keep it holy. How do we keep it holy? We honor it. And we do it, not just mentally, but in our work. Amen? Amen. Okay, I'm almost done. I know. I said that three times. How many times ago did I get that? All right. Huh? I'm on my last one. So, so the leadership team says we're done. I, I think I ran Pastor Dustin off. He's like, I'm out of here. All right, praise the Lord. <laughs> praise God. Notice what he says. It is a Sabbath to Adonai, not to you, but to God. Look at Leviticus 23. I love this. this is, all y'all who say, that's for the Jewish people, write this verse down, okay? I'm giving you weapons. I'm giving you the word, okay? Not pastor opinion. Look at Leviticus 23. Then Adonai spoke to Moses saying, speak to who? It, come on. Israel. Now, we've already established the fact that who's Israel? We all are. Anybody believes in Messiah, right? Speak to Israel and tell them these are the appointment, appointed Moedims of the Jewish people. Y'all good with that? Because that's what we're taught. These are whose? They belong to Adonai. 
which you are to proclaim to be holy convocations. What's your responsibility? To proclaim them. How do you proclaim them? Think about that. How do you proclaim them, church? Honoring them. Somebody said it over here. I don't know who said it. Very good. Somebody said it over here. That's right. You honor them. You, when you honor the Sabbath, you are proclaiming to everybody around you what? God's holy. God is God. This is a Sabbath day. Right? Verse 3, work may be done for six days. We kind of re he repeats himself here. But the seventh day is Shabbat of Siloam rest. A holy convocation. You are to do no work. It is a Shabbat to Adonai in all your dwellings. Now, I know I went long today. Praise the Lord. It happened. Um, but here's the bottom line, man. I want you to get this. The first of the holy days that belong not to the Jewish people. This is the first of many Moedims, right? Not even to Israel, but they belong to the Father. They're his days. He blessed it, and he made it holy. Notice what he said. The same thing he's been doing since Adam and Eve. You have six days. Do what you will, but this one, don't touch it. And just like in those days, man, it's the same thing, isn't it? The enemy's trying to come in and say, oh, you can touch it. It's okay. If you want to see God's blessing in your home, I haven't even get, cut the surface, man, with Isaiah 56. Go into Isaiah 56 and read the blessing that God will pour upon your home because you chose to make this day holier than every other day. The Sabbath day, not this day, but the Sabbath. Amen? All right, we're going to do something different today. Y'all stand to your feet. I want you guys to play. Don't go nowhere. Y'all stand to your feet. We're going to do something very special this morning. I wanted to do, I know we're long on time, but praise God, we only